Hello, hello. This is Tracy Harrell, and welcome to Bigger Than Me. Each week, we focus on how to achieve your definition of success and happiness. On Bigger Than Me, we bring together a combination of ageless wisdom, the latest research, and engaging interviews with amazing people who are sharing their stories to help each of us achieve our full potential. Your journey to transformation begins right now. Let's do this. All right, this is Tracy Harrell, and you are tuning in to yet another amazing episode of Bigger Than Me. And I say it's amazing because I have amazing people joining me, and it's, it's so much, it's so much bigger than me. And today I have one of my favorite people, Dr. Jerry Bird-Tart. How are you, Rachel? We can't see you you on the visual yet. Um, Dr. Tart, mm-hmm. you are in Florida. Yes. And today we're going to be talking about, this is kind of like a prelog. You know, sometimes you, you know, you, you before you read a great book, there's a chapter in that book, you know, that basically sets it all up or that adds some additional context and meat. So today we're going to continue to build on this amazing journey we've been on uh, around achieving racial equity and inclusion in business, education, wealth, and health. And we're going to, we're going to continue that conversation, but go a little deeper on really the mental health side mm-hmm. of this conversation, the impacts of what happens when people are excluded? What happens when there is no equity, for example, in the workplace? Um, and, and I'm excited. So before we get into it, why don't you give us a real, um, a real quick overview of who you are? Okay. And uh, why, why is, why is this topic so important that we really help people to understand there is an impact mm. to yeah. inequity, exclusion? Um, okay. Um, uh, I'm, I'm Jerry Birch Tart. And I'm here in Orlando, Florida. Um, I'm a, a psychotherapist and I've been in business, private practice for more than 22 years in the field for more than 40. Um, and uh, to answer your question, uh, Tracy, I want to go there. The first thing that I want to say is that I think that it, it is instinct, it is, it, is, it is innate rather for us to want to belong. I think uh-huh. we look to try to assimilate we are um, uh, individuals look to to recognize their um, we are we are unique beings, but there is there is still that urgency or that urge within us to to um, as I said before assimilate. We want to to try to blend or be a part of be a part of. That's the word that I'm looking for. We want right. to be a part of. So when that doesn't happen, oftentimes it affects our psyche to the point that we recognize this. We, we believe, we begin to believe that something is different and there is something different. And it isn't that we are trying to become something or someone else. We want to be included, accepted, appreciated and valued. And when there is that, um, that, that significant, that difference, then uh, we are, we, we find ourselves second guessing. We are not confident. Uh, or even if it were that we have special talents, we find uh, that we second guess there and wonder why aren't we accepted or whatever. One major factor is that at some point or the other, if we aren't included, we begin, um, I'm going to use the term withdrawal. We, 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 we withdraw so it's as if we are looking at the rest of the world through a looking glass as it were. 
then what does wow. that do? One, uh, if it is that we feel as if we aren't uh, accepted or whatever, then our behavior more often than not becomes one or the other thing. Either we will, um, in our efforts to assimilate, if we can't, then we may find ourselves acting out. Or we, we may find ourselves trying to mimic, not unlike what children do, when they see their older siblings or their parents, they try to um, they try to mimic them, they try to model them. And a part of that is for survival. You know, right. if it is that you're in an environment where you're thinking that this is the way that you're supposed to do something and you do it differently, and if you're uh, picked upon or whatever, the thing, the thought that keeps coming to my mind, I'm trying to think of more of a more of a of a of a an example to give, but the thought that keeps coming to my mind is the story regarding um, the ugly duckling. Do you remember that? Mm, remember I that do. Story? And how yes. the, the 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 swan didn't realize its its significance, and that's the point that I'm trying to make. When there is little or no assimilation, we truly begin to believe that we can't assimilate, or something is wrong with us. Um, so as a result, we either we will push back or we will shrink in some regard or the other. So our efforts to use the tools or believe that those tools are vi viable are compromised. So the need for, uh, so that's one of the impacts. So the need for inclusion uh, rather than exclusion is to build a stronger unit as it were, even in relationships or whatever, when there's these grave differences because of a lack of communications or whatever, then the, the relationship in and of itself is less than what it can be. So the need to, to build is, is very important as it relates to, the, uh, as it relates to um, inclusion. So I hope that that answered your question. Uh, so that, part of it anyway. it, it's, it's exactly, it exactly is a part of this perfect, per perfect, perfect overview of what I was hoping we could share and continue to build on. I think there really are still people who don't recognize that there's a problem. So mm -hmm. Kiana Gandhi, thank yes. you so much for joining us. I, I just had, uh, sorry, you're on mute. No, I, oh. <laughs> can you hear yeah. me now? Yes, you can, totally. Totally. You look amazing. You both look so amazing. I honestly, I feel so lucky to have, you know, such amazing people like the two of you in my life. You know, this journey is not easy. It, it has been divinely, you know, orchestrated, you know, just the connections with each of you. I just wanted to say thank you. That, that's, you know, it, it, you, you both are amazing. So today I have at least two therapists on. <laughs> so I got Dr. Tart with 40 years, and we got Miss Kiana, who you 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 actually have a new company. Tell us about mm -hmm. it. And you're you're so insightful. You you almost stole the show last time. You were on session. <laughs> right? Didn't she? She was yes, like dropping did. the mic. You know, everybody's been, been been involved in this conversation for a while, and then you just sneak in and you just start dropping the mic. So I just think this pairing is such a such a perfect combination. So can you just introduce yourself and tell us just why is it important for us to think about the mental health impacts of exclusion? Mm -hmm. So first and foremost, Kiana Gandhi. Um, I am a recent graduate of Georgia State University, just recently got my master's. Um, so shout out Dr. Tart because I'm sure you have a lot of experience and what I'm thinking is like a long road ahead. Um, no, you, you, you've got it. You're bringing the new, new thing to the table. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I believe the question was, 
the importance of mental health around inclusion or exclusion? Yeah, well, yeah. yeah so as we think about exclusion, yes. Why, why is it important for us to have these type of conversations around mm -hmm. mental health and really talk about the impacts of exclusion on mental health? Yes, for sure. So as just human beings, and if we look at other groups of animals, um, that there are some that are that are kind of solo, but most animals move in groups, in herds, in pods. And us as people, it's no different. So our number one instinct as humans is to be loved and feel safe around other people. So connection, community are extremely, extremely salient. Um, and I think that's why when you see you know, the same behavior in a neglected child, you could see in a, a neglected dog, I'm really scared, I'm really, I have this trauma response when someone tries to get close to me because I don't know what intimacy looks like, uh, or I don't know what safety, what someone looks like. It's always like this abusive cycle. So um, in, inclusion and exclusion plays a huge role because that's where we find community. That's where we find others like us. That's where the world is telling us, oh, you're like other people in this way, you're accepted. Um, and so when we do not have that, I think it, it in some ways can rewire what, what our beliefs are. Um, and then have us thinking maybe I need a change in myself in order to be accepted, or I need to do more in order to be accepted. And then we perpetuate that. So if I've been excluded before from a group or a company or a family, then I know what it feels like. And I see that response and I see someone else doing something I might like, might not like, and my initial reaction is to exclude them, say, no, that's different, that's unique, I don't like that. Um, when we talk about mental health, of course, that can show up in anxiety, that can show up in depression, um, that can show up in a lot of different things. And then that's not even getting into like the physiology around disease showing up in our body. So, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I, absolutely. I, I, I love that. And I love that we're just starting out with the, you know, based, I feel like you both, Dr. Tart, you and Kiana are both basically setting up this conversation to clarify why it's important for us to continue to tell our stories. Why is that so important? And Ms. Zelda, Zelda, how are you? You're on mute right now. You look amazing. You're, 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 you're muted. So you can unmute real quick. And uh, we, we've just been talking about, so we just had Dr. Todd do her intros. Uh, Kiana's done her intro, so it's perfect timing for you to do your intro. Tell us who you are, Ms. Zelda. And then also share, why, why is it important for us, us to have these conversations around equity and inclusion? And, and th this initiative is called the Bigger Than Me Success Series, Achieving Racial Equity and Inclusion in Business, Education, Wealth, and Health. I think you have an expertise in education, but you also have some insights in all these other areas as well. So just tell us who you are and why is it important for us to have these type of conversations? Well, first of all, let me just say thank you to everyone for having me. Um, Wow, it's a very, very big topic. Uh, absolutely, totally and completely agree with what some of I heard the last person say, referencing inclusion. Inclusion is extremely important. Um, many would tend to agree, I would think, that inclusion allows us to feel safe, uh, to feel quote unquote normal, if you will. But who I am quintessentially, I am a teacher, uh, although recently retired. However, I'm still a teacher, once a teacher, always a teacher. Um, I am also very, very passionate about the academic achievement gap, uh, which unfortunately 
disproportionately impacts um, black and brown uh, students. Uh, there is an inequity, if you will, in education. Um, and that needs to be closed because as we know, education is the precursor, if you will, to who it is we ultimately become and the ways in which we contribute to the community. Um, I've often said that education, unfortunately, and in many instances, compartmentalizes uh, people. Um, and it is a fact, however, that the salary ranges differ for a high school graduate versus a college graduate versus a certified individual or a licensed individual. So education plays a very big part uh, in all of our lives. And certainly if we need to have inclusion and equity anywhere, it's in education. I love that. And the, and the reason, the reason this initiative is about systems, it's about those connected systems that are inextricably, you know, connected. You, you basically can't disconnect this concept of business, education, wealth, and health. They're all connected because when you don't have equity and inclusion in one, there's a trickle down effect, effect to the other. But the good news is, as we bring racial equity and inclusion into business and into education and, and these other wealth and health, they, they all also positively impact each other. So you, you, you have a, a strong, obviously, focus on education. And we, we can definitely go deep into, into a number of reasons why uh, our youth are oftentimes traumatized when they're excluded. We, you know, today is about trauma. Today is, is really to have a conversation with some individuals around, again, it's not just social injustice that's happening in the streets of America. It's not just, you know, police brutality with George Floyd being murdered on the, you know, in the, in the streets of America. It's really about these injustices that happen in business and in education, right? that affect our health, that affect our wealth, that affect our lives, that are traumatizing. And I mean, Kiana, you and both Dr. Tart, you both just said, you all just said, basically, as human beings, we want to connect. So when these traumatic experiences happen in business, for example, and someone experiences what Rachel told us about during our last uh, session, where she talked about bringing home the bear. Right. She talked about going to work, achieving some amazing feats, you know, and they, they sent her out to go catch a bear and they gave her a stick and, a, and, and, and some duct tape. And she said she came back to work. She actually brought the bear back in and they no one thought it was an accomplishment. Right. That's unequal performance standards. That's unconscious bias. That's traumatic for someone who is trying to not only achieve, but overachieve. Right. And so the trauma that occurs is then, to your point, all these other negative things happen, and it's just this, 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 this really horrible circular pattern that occurs when one thing, you know, negatively impacts another. So my question is to you, and I'll start with Dr. Tart. As we think about trauma, and as we think about these experiences, you were you were both were there, Kiana, you and Jerry, you were both there as Rachel told her story about the bear. And then you had everybody in that room that was black nodding their heads and saying, yep. You even had Bruce Thompson saying, president of the National Organization of the National Black MBA Association, saying that he, even throughout his experience, 
and as an executive, it took it took conversations with other people to make him not have a postal going postal moment, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you have senior people fighting, fighting this 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 feeling of trauma. Yes. So let's let's talk about the word trauma. Why, why do people need to acknowledge their trauma? And if someone has had trauma, Dr. Tard and Gianna and all of you, same thing can apply, um, Zelda, if you want to talk about education, but Dr. Tard, when, when someone experiences a traumatic situation, what is that process? We want to provide a little bit of some, a tool set. Okay. What should they be thinking about? How do we get them from blaming themselves, feeling inadequate, and all the things that come with not being connected to really be comfortable telling their story and moving through the process. Oh, I'm sorry, excuse me. Okay, thank you, Um, Tracy. One thing that I think it's important for us to uh, acknowledge is that when we are traumatized, it changes our view of the world. That's that's one of the first things that happens um, because now, uh, as Kiana said initially, now we don't feel safe anymore. You know, so when our safety is compromised, then um, we are we are uh, in a crisis, as it were. So now we have to try to find a place where we can feel safe. So now that the world, uh, the, as we as we may have known it, is it doesn't feel as if it's safe anymore. Then we have to try. We are we are trying to re- uh, reprocess. We're trying to understand how can I continue to survive. What then do I have to do? So in the workplace, if there is as as um, uh, the uh, young lady was talking about, uh, Rachel was talking about bringing home, uh, bringing the bear after the circumstances were as they were. It's like, okay, I thought that uh, this is this was my go-do. And now you're telling me that that wasn't good enough. So uh, first we're gonna possibly say, well, was the bear not big enough? Okay, was the, did I get the wrong kind of bear? You know, we, we tend to question um, because we were looking for our expectations would be, was, is different than the response that we are receiving. So we're going to look at what's going on. What, what happened? Was it not, you know, whatever, whatever. And if it meets the standards of whatever it is that you asked for initially, then we're going to turn it inwardly. So some, I did something wrong. Something is wrong with me. Um, uh, I, I must be whatever. So if there was, if there were ever any negative um, statements that we were given, those tapes then begin to replay in our in our minds. You, okay, I'm not. I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not some kind of enough. And as a result of that, if that tra- traumatic experience is 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 reoccurring, it's not a one time event. We look around, and that that it may not be the bear. Maybe they send you out the next time to get a giraffe or something or whatever. But if the same response is basically if the response is basically the same, then we conclude, then yes, it must be me because I've gone and gotten two different whatevers and the response towards me is the same. Now, my world, my, my conclusion of this traumatic event is no longer, we aren't seeing it now as a, as, a, as, as a traumatic event. We're going to rename it in order to survive. Okay, are you with me? So when we rename that thing, it's more about us. So whatever our natural qualities are, our gifts, our abilities, or whatever, those things are now compromised. They then be, we become or begin to behave in a minimized process, a, a minimized manner, because we feel as if we are no longer of significance. Okay. So as a result of that, there are uh, uh, 
all kinds of behaviors then because we are now frightened. Remember the, 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 the natural processing of thinking that our world was safe. It has now been solidified that this world is not safe, but I must survive. So how then do I survive in an unsafe sp space? My back is up now. My, my, my defense mechanisms are out now. So now I'm in a fight, flight, or freeze posturing, and it becomes our norm. Mm. So therefore, it's difficult for us to believe and or process or exercise in the manner that would give uh, the positive things that we're looking for. Mm. Mm. There was so much in there. Yeah. Wow. That was good. Yes, and. <laughs> wow. That was, that was, a, so there was so much there. A couple things you said. I'm, I'm going to ask couple of things you said about it being our norm. Okay. Yes. That means we are often in a constant state of, you call it a fight or fight. Yes. Fight or flight. Mm -hmm. You talked about a state of trauma, yes. a state of questioning, a yes. state of non-optimal non emotional yes. balance. You're definitely not believing in yourself. If that's the state of being, knowing that we're in systems that often result that way, and it's not always the case for Black people, we're talking about when it is. We're not taught to talk about it, but if that's our constant state, and people are like, that's me, she just described me in the name of Jesus, that was me. So if somebody's listening right now, and they're like, yes, yes, and yes. Take it to the next level, Dr. Tart. What can they do? What should they do? That self-care is probably one of those things. Let's talk a little bit more about the next thing. Okay, the next thing is in, in addition to first um, identifying it, I mean, call it, call it by its right name mm -hmm. and then make the decision that there is, because outside of that environment, if we can walk into another environment and find a place of safety that's, that's, that's comforting, that's, there's an assurance. So that, and, and, and unfortunately, I wanna say that that starts within, but here's the deal. When you're hurting, you don't know how sometimes to pull that self-care in. You don't see the significance of it. Remember, your safety has been compromised. Mm. So as Maslow says, that's one of the primary needs there. So if that's safety, we have to find a place of safety. So um, the effort, I would submit that we have to reach out and, and share the, our thought processes, in my opinion, uh, with someone who can validate the fact that where we are coming from uh, has been trauma, it was trauma, and what we need in terms of self-care. And, and I want to say this because I think that it's critical. We do have the tendencies for self-care, but now remember our process of thought has been broken. So we're gonna, someone is gonna have to help us to understand that what you've, you've already got some, some survival skills. You've got some fantastic survival skills and it's not about blowing smoke, but it is about the fact that you've survived. Our literal survival speaks to the fact that we have the tools within us to do the, to, to do the self-care. What you might need after the traumatic event is to is to understand how to recognize them again okay how to recognize that self-care those self-care tools and to begin to utilize those self-care tools 
sometimes it's almost like um, if I if I can take it back to a child, if that child has been frightened, he or she possibly needs to be held. They need to be stroked. They need to be told that they are safe again. So we have to be we have to um, those those things have to be reiterated to us. Right. We have to begin to believe again that there is a safe environment so that self-care is critical. But sometimes the trauma may be of such um, it's, it could be so severe that it we can't find it ourselves. Mm. I'm taking notes, by the way. So if it looks like I'm looking okay. away, it's because this okay. is so good. I'm just, <laughs> you know, you know, this series is is doing two things. We're basically creating a, a full video production to take the country and the world on this journey with us. Right, this bigger than me success series. This is not about a bunch of people coming together talking. This is being very intentional about asking the right questions being very strategic about the questions we ask, the information that's being communicated, and the solutions that are being brought forward. Oftentimes we know exactly what to do. We're just not doing them. We're just not you know, in a place where we, we can even acknowledge you. You've been traumatized for so long. Take someone like you to basically look outside in and then say why it's so important for us to have these conversations. Ken, I'm gonna ask you the same question. If you can just kind of help build on what, what Dr. Uh, Jerry was just talking about, this idea of you know trauma and and how do we you know what would you say to someone who's been in this place for so long has been in corporate america has experienced what she said is now recognizing that that is exactly been my experience T talk to us talk us off the ledge if you will uh, I would <laughs> echo the the first step that dr tart said was to identify like call a thing a thing and i think even that sounds um to some people really really difficult because when we think about, especially childhood trauma, um, that it to some people, if it's happened so long ago, that it people can just think like, oh, this is just how I am. Or like, it was happened when I was three, four, five. Oh, this is just who I am as a person. Um, I can't get close to you. I have barriers. I have a lot of guard. This is, that's just my personality. And so it's really hard sometimes to call a thing a thing when I think people will ingest trauma and like internalize their trauma and just say that's who they are. Um, and so I think with calling a thing a thing is a lot of time going back in time with people and figuring out, oh, so how long have you been like that? What, kind, what does that look like in your life? What does a guard up look like? Um, who, who do you like to have guard up around and who do you wish maybe you didn't have a guard around? And so trying to unwind this huge ball of trauma and trying to find one end and then find the other end is really difficult when you also have to think about families and tied in there. There's a lot of people with intertwined trauma, right? And and if all we look at, like in our family or in our direct environment, are people that are also traumatized, and it can just seem like, oh, that's just how they are. That's just how this neighborhood is. That's how this community is. That's just how we operate. That it's really hard to say, wait, 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 that's not normal. Or I don't actually want to be like that. So I think um, the, the deep rootedness of trauma, or if we're even looking at chrono chronological time, how far back trauma goes, um, you know, when you tell someone or you're talking about trauma, I think a lot of people who are traumatized wouldn't even say that they're traumatized. Oh yeah, I just go through hard times and some days I can't eat and I just keep going. And it's like, wait, 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 that, you know, we normalize a lot of that conversation with our friends and family because they might be in a similar situation. So it seems normal. But I think people, when you go to see like a therapist, you're going to talk to a friend or someone and you have like that mirror up and then someone might break that cycle and say, that that doesn't sound normal or it doesn't sound like you deserve that or it sounds like you should 
ask for more, expect more, do, or people should treat you better, then people are like, oh, I had no idea. I just thought this is kind of the way things were. Um, so I would say really giving people, um, not like not assuming that people know even that they have trauma in their bodies. Um, and I think that was one of my kind of like rookie mistakes of like, oh, let's talk about your trauma. And people are like, I'm good, like I'm fine. You know, so. <laughs> I'm good. Rookie mistake, right? But I, I was, as I learned more, I realized that one, trauma is still super taboo. So people, that's not something I just want to claim, you know, as myself, because it can be seen as weak. Um, and that people have so much trauma around them that their trauma just looks like another thing and another normal thing. Um, and I think, uh, and probably you can see this in the classroom since you're in education, uh, Zelda, but I think when you, when kids are kind of at this playing field and you kind of know how three-year-olds are supposed to act and how general, generally five-year-olds are supposed to act, that's when people can really identify, oh, something seems wrong with that child. But when we're all 30, 40, 50, it's a lot harder to point out and say, that's bad behavior. That's good behavior. You're a good girl. You're a bad girl. Um, so the older we get, I think the, the ball gets a lot more intertwined and the rope gets longer. I love that. I see heads nodding from both of you, Zelda. I'm going to come to you because, again, this this show is intentional but organic. And I love, 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 love the fact that you ladies are so um, intuitive when it comes to what people really need and what's really happening. To your point, people don't typically want to claim trauma. And what I love, the word I wanted to just kind of, you know, move forward with as well is normalized behavior, normalized trauma. I'm just used to people <laughs> doing it like this. I'm used to whatever that, you know, whatever that thing may be. Elder, tell us a little bit about why it's so important to, you know, help elevate uh, expectations. I like to say this in this show, we tell stories, we share wisdom, we elevate expectations. This is about giving people a new perspective. So tell us why it's so important to elevate expectations when someone has been traumatized, if it's youth in school or whatever it may be. Let's talk about elevating expectations and, and this concept of normality, normalizing trauma. Mm -hmm. well, I'm glad you, you asked me because school has a certain set of expectations and standards. First and foremost, let me start out by saying this. One of the things that teachers are tasked with is that we have to create what is referred to as a safe environment. We must create a safe environment in which everyone feels safe to learn, safe to perform, safe to engage, etc. So with that said, and I took a couple of notes too, Tracy. I like that you're taking <laughs> Right. <laughs> we love that. We love it. I took a couple of notes as well. The reason that we want to create a safe environment, of course, is to create community. In a community, we all work together toward a purpose or goal. We have a single goal in mind. And of course, in the classroom, it's to learn. Secondly, I wanted to talk about trauma. Trauma as it relates especially to education. Some things that may traumatize our students, our children, would be that they're struggling readers. That's traumatizing for children, especially I taught high school. So by the time you get to high school and you're considered a struggling reader, it is traumatizing. It is a form of trauma. Retention is a for form of trauma. Uh, labeling students as either ESE, gifted, whatever, those can be traumas as well. And suspension, that's that um, school to prison pipeline where our students are. And when I say our students, I'm referencing students of color 
by African-American students in particular who are disproportionately suspended, uh, males especially, versus all of their other counterparts. So those things can be traumatizing as well. Why is it uh, important to elevate norms? Because school is where it all begins. Long before we ever get to corporate America, we start with school. There was a person who wrote a very interesting book titled, Everything I Needed to Learn, I Learned in Kindergarten. And, and he was right, because it's all about sharing, it's all about belonging, it's all about the norms, if you will, that are expected of us in society. But I'd like to point out that there are some students, and I think Kiana said it very well, there are some students who come to us with traumas, whether that trauma is child abuse, uh, molestation, um, homelessness, um, and a plethora of others, which we are tasked, by the way, as teachers to report. If we suspect that there's abuse, we by law have to report that we suspect that. But with that said, there are some students who come homeless. This is a really big issue right now, particularly in the county in which I taught. Um, so why is it important to elevate? It's important to elevate, as you already pointed out, everyone is expected to, to learn, to achieve, to graduate, and to become a productive member of society. That's, that's the expectation. That's the reason that you're in school. And by the way, a lot of students of color have not been told that as very small kids. They haven't been told why, they're, that why they are going to school. They need to know that. They need to know that as early as possible. That That's the whole overall goal. So much so, in college, by the way, it's important. So much so, people are willing to go to prison to put their kids in college. So there's this whole systemic, institutional um, rule, if you will, to education that doesn't necessarily embrace the idea of trauma, even though that we, even though we know that some students and some children are traumatized, the, the overall idea of it is not necessarily to, to um, facilitate that. It's more of making sure those kids can get to what you all reference as corporate America. Before you can get to corporate America, you've got to get through school, and school comes or education comes with, with this whole set of systemic racism. It is a very systemically racist ideology in our country and in our in many of our institutions. I said a lot, sorry. No, that's good. I, I took a lot of notes, so that's good. <laughs> and I tried to speak quickly because I knew I had a lot to say. I'm very passionate about this because I really no, believe- No, you're not passionate. Foundationally, <laughs> Uh, our our country, in terms of systemic racism, education plays a pivotal and big role, even from its inception. Slaves were not supposed to learn to read or write. That was not supposed to happen. So when we talk about trauma, when we talk about inequities, when we talk about um, what it means to be Black, and by the way, I think being Black is a trauma in and of itself, and that's a conversation for another another. Uh, Zoom meeting, I would imagine. I think being black has its traumas because well, you're, you're perceived in a certain way. Well, I was just gonna um, say, let's not, let's not, um, let's sorry. not hold back. No, I was oh, gonna say, okay. let's not hold back. Let's I'm pause sorry. and let's, 
you know, we got we got we got a little time here because the whole point of this conversation was, um, you know, it's the impact of exclusion and the psychology of change. So we're we kind of want to start with, you know, the impact of of, of being black in America. Oh, I cut from the camera. Okay. Right. The impact of being black in America. It's all. It's all. You know. It's all. You know, it's all good. Somebody told you to come back and you went too far back. Uh, you look oh, amazing. <laughs> You're okay. great. I'm just <laughs> okay. You, I'm, I'm, teacher, I'm used to doing everything up close. You know, yes. I, I did a lot of hands-on. I, yes. I, I, I'm, I'm just trying to be. I just want you to know, we're just having a conversation. We don't care that people, this is going to be part of a our goal. Like I said, we're writing a book. We are oh. creating a video a diary, a video production of lessons learned. People really connect when you when they see the faces and feel the passion. So don't ever apologize for being passionate on this show. That's basically a requirement for admission. Okay, okay. so that's how we roll, Dr. Tart. Am I right? That's why I love Dr. Tart so much. Kiana came in swinging. I was like, all right, she's. <laughs> so, that's that's kind of how we roll. That's basically why we're here. I mean, who else would take their time on a Sunday afternoon to, you know, talk about something that, I mean, it's really, we can change the world. Amen. Like we, we together, Amen. it's bigger than me, success series. We're not, we're not swinging for a, a base hit. We're not asking for minor little, you know, incremental changes. We're saying we've been talking about this same concept for f too long. Right. We are not talking about courageous conversations. We're talking about courageous activations. And it does start with changing hearts and minds. Changing the system is about changing the individuals that are part of that system. And again, I'm not going to spend a, a number of other shows continuing to talk about the fact that there is a problem. But there are still people who don't think there's a problem. So we've talked about it. We got people talking about the metrics. I just want to talk about also the impact, right? The impact, the psychological impact. It's basically, you know, some of the things we talked about is corporate bullying, right? White people don't like to talk about bullies. So let's give them a term, you know, that, that we know they're going to, right? Want, want, want to lean in and, and correct. Corporate bullies. When I talked about the key challenges in corporate America, we call them corporate chokeholds, Zelda. You, you, you're new to this concept, so I'm just going to put it out there. You know, being black in America is what you just said. I'm talking about being black in business. How does it affect you in education? How does it affect you from a wealth perspective and a, and a, and a health perspective? They're all connected, yeah. right? And when I use this term corporate chokeholds, it's about it's about actions that are intentional or unintentional, could be completely unconscious bias is what we talk about. But at the end of the day, we got to get to a point where we can stop saying that it's unconscious, right? Unconscious means I have no clue. It is happening. So we're creating a, an actual uh, paradigm shift that allows us to say, here's what's happening. Let's mm -hmm. all just agree. Here's what you do when it's happening. We created these bigger than me moments. It's a bigger than me movement because we're basically going to stop the status quo. We're going to put the brakes on when these things are happening, when it looks like somebody is being experiencing unconscious bias, when it looks like there's unequal performance standards. I'm going to be very specific. When it looks like there's similarity bias and there's exclusion and there's inequities, we're just going to stop. Like that, you guys talked about the, the concept of interruption, right? How do you stop the status quo? How do you interrupt the system? Ken, I think you were the one who, who really got me excited. You were the one who talked about these uh, interruptions and then Dr. Tart, you got me overly excited when you said, Look, you when you do something, when you start using your hands, I get really excited. <laughs> you were like, Look, 
we got to take this seriously. So between the two of you, um, I'm kind of losing my voice a little bit. I've had like 10 interviews in the last three days. So my voice is like on the brink, perhaps. Um, but I want, I want you guys to talk a little bit about, again, the seriousness of this conversation. And you've talked about what someone could do when they're experiencing these, these, um, these issues. What would you say to someone who's like, what issues? Like, what are you talking about? You know, and, and, and how, how psychologically traumatizing is it when someone basically tries to gaslight you and tell you what you experienced didn't happen? I'll Kiana, I'm Kiana first. Dr. Char, yes. Please. Oh, Kiana? I was going to give away to Kiana first. There you go. Um, so I think I, I, that specifically happens a lot where we experience something as Black people and then someone or like a group or a political leader will say that is irrelevant or that did not happen or that it happened, but maybe it was a little more intense or the one that you're being too sensitive, like you're being too soft, you're being over emotional, right? And so what that does is throw what we believe to be true off. So similar to the example Dr. Tart gave, like I went into the forest, I, got, I brought back this bear, like I was supposed to do. And so I come back and I'm like maybe super excited. I'm really happy. And they're like, mm, that your emotional reaction doesn't, doesn't match that behavior. It doesn't match um, maybe what your expectation or what our expectations were. So what can happen a lot of times is that we second guess and then go back and process something over and over. It's like, well, maybe that didn't really happen. Or maybe they just didn't see me. Or maybe it's because the other person actually did have a better resume. Or maybe... And all of those things dismantle foundations of beliefs, foundations um, that our parents built for us, foundations that our grandparents built for us. Um, and I can speak for myself. If my grandparents, they've always been very affirming and you deserve this and um, negotiate pay and all that other stuff. So I found myself in a room where it was an opportunity to negotiate pay. And yeah, I remember what they told me. And I remember all those things that they instilled in me. But just due to my own acculturation and due to my own conditioning experiences, in my mind, there was still that running tape of, that's a little, you don't deserve that much. They don't, they don't think you're worth that much. And I kept my mouth shut, right? So then when we're thinking about maybe grander, grander things, where it's um, how we want a partner to treat us or um, a behavior that we accept from really close family members, where if they hurt us, it would be really deep. Um, that second guessing can turn into being really toxic because it makes us not trust ourselves. Mm -hmm. And someone that doesn't trust yourself, you're gonna see a lot of issues with um, maybe keeping relationships, uh, regulation, um, things like that. Because if there's, if there's a certain narrative that we have and then we go out into the world and the narrative is, is off or the narrative doesn't match, then we're going to have this inner dialogue that's always going to convict us and make us the bad guy. Um, we're going to internalize a lot of that and it's always going to be, yeah, well, that was my fault. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. Or I shouldn't have said it like that. Or I did that too quickly. Or I didn't think that through. And if, you know, you're having that inner dialogue every, every single day, that's going to, that's going to be really toxic because how are you affirming and growing um, and enhancing like your self-efficacy? I mean, it can still happen, but it would just happen really slow because you have to undo a lot of those beliefs that got tainted. Mm. I love that. We guys, we have six minutes left in this first hour, and then we're going to go into the second hour, focusing on what you started, Zelda. We can't start it at this late in the game. We're going to start it at the beginning of the next hour, being Black in America, the trauma that comes with that. But I just heard you talk about using a, a huge word that was trust. Trust. 
trusting ourselves and honestly trusting others, trusting that others are going to do the right thing. How do you balance not having the experience that you want, being traumatized when you do deliver three times what they asked for and you don't get the credit and you're traumatized and um, again, I don't like to talk about my experience because I still get choked up about it a little bit, but you know, uh, you know, the idea of trusting again, like really, like this is now the third and the fourth, like, come on now, like when the proof is in the pudding and you're still not getting, you know, credit, how do you trust others, Dr. Tart? And then, you know, I never had trouble trusting myself because there was never a question as to my abilities. <laughs> they, they got the wrong one when they start questioning my output because I'm like, Tracy gives five times. <laughs> Boy, I was the right one. I am like I am so glad that I had the experience that I had to be perfectly honest. It, it had to be me because God knew He had to put somebody up in here that was like, you can you can tell me a thousand different things that I am too loud, that I am got all kind of issues, but you can never tell me about my ability to deliver. So once that happens, it was like okay, now I got to focus on changing the system because I had people literally youth coming to me wanting to commit suicide. Asking me, Tracy, Miss Tracy, why do these people, why can they, why they do this to us? Uh, you know I had to act at that point. It's like, I, I'd rather be the sacrificial lamb in this space of corporate America. If I'm going to, I got to bring this to the forefront to say, this has to change. Like somehow this has to change. And sadly to say, Dr. Chark, talk to us about trust. Like, you, 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 are you supposed to trust the system again? Are you supposed to go in kind of thinking maybe it's going to work out this time? Like, what do you tell people who've been traumatized? Now, Tracy, you know that the place that I'm going to go, you know where I'm going to go, and that place, first and foremost, I'm serious, <laughs> in terms of trying to understand trust, we have to put our trust in that bigger than me, God. We have to do that first. The point that I want to make to make this um, in terms of, 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 of living the lives or trying to deal or survive in society or whatever, once we realize that we truly can trust, that we can trust somebody and I choose to say that we can, I, I choose to trust God because he's never lied to me. He's never done anything. Everybody doesn't have my same religious uh, belief system or whatever. And I, 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 I can appreciate where they're coming from. But the point that I'm making is that if it is that this thing is reoccurring, if it is that we choose to survive, we, we trust something. Trust me on that one. We trust something or somebody. There's some concept in terms of, so we've got to have, we've got to find a, a stable ground to move on, as it were. And you just said, people will come and say, why is it that is this constantly happening to me? So what then do I do? So what do you trust? What do you trust? Um, as Kiana was talking, I thought about how sometimes the behaviors become, and even Zelda, they become uh, what we would consider to be inappropriate because people are saying, stop. Stop. When you're talking to a bully, you want to say, stop, stop. That hurts. That's not kind. That's not, that's against the grain of love, as it were. So what then do I do? I find that in terms of finding that place, how do we trust again? Find that. And, and if it's a loved one, let's, let's go with, with our humanness because people will say, well, I trust my mom because my mom has never done yada, yada, or I trust my dad or whatever. What does that look like? What's that concept? What does that concept of trust look like? like can you can you um uh be, can you create a system within yourself that you can almost make it tangible that you can pick it up and say i can use this tool and i like, love that word i can use this tool to move through this particular arena as it were 
So in uh, the, that trust, I, if you said, I trust me, well, see, Tracy, you may have had the verbiage to support that. As Kiana was saying, her grandparents or parents were to have said, you're, you're, you're worthy, you're, you're, you're deserving of this, so you can ask for it. But what if every, well, the piranhas around me tells me that if I ask for it, I'm going to be eaten alive. <laughs> and I, I don't say that lightly, because what, what that means is, am I willing to take that step, to take that hurt, Am I willing? Can I can I handle that? And what do I do? What do I need in order to continue to do that? So I choose to trust. I'm I, as you said before. I know I look different. So then that mindset. Remember when we were talking about trauma? How do I assimilate? How do I? I don't feel safe now in this environment because I've been traumatized. Now I understand that it is trauma. So I now let recognize I'm not the duck. I'm a swan. So what does what what is it? That is, what does a swan do? Okay. So then I embrace that. I embrace the fact that I am different. And with that, it's like, what then, what's next? And am I willing, can I, can, can I survive in doing that? And I know that we only had a few minutes, so I was trying to- Oh my goodness, that was so amazing. So listen, that was amazing. We do have to end this particular hour. We're just gonna take a two minute, three minute station break. And then we're gonna come right back into this next hour. And we're gonna start right from where you just left off Dr. Dart talking about how do we make it, how do we create a, this safe space, right? How, what do we do? If the piranhas around us are telling us that we're not safe, how do we trust? So this, yeah. we talked about the what happens. Now we're gonna talk about how do we, how do we thrive? How do yeah. we thrive and how do we survive? This is Tracy Harrell. Thank you, Zelda, Kiana, and Jerry Burchard. Stay with us. We're gonna come right back with part two of this amazing conversation. This is Tracy Harrell and it's bigger than me, baby. <laughs> <laughs>